Connecting people and sharing experiences. This is the Retirement Years Podcast. Your hosts are Mary Ellen French and Dave Wayne. Hi there, I'm Mary Ellen. And I'm Dave. On our last episode, we discussed the warning signs of depression and the many risk factors that can undermine your mental health and well-being. On today's episode of the Retirement Years Podcast, we'll talk about protective factors that help maintain your mental health and the many supports available here in Canada and in other countries as well. Yeah, so today we're going to continue our conversation with Joanne, um, who was our guest uh, last week. She works in public health as a mental health promoter, and she uh, shares with us today an extensive list of, as Dave said, protective factors that boost our ability to bounce back from stressful experiences, which, of course, we all have. So uh, here's our first clip from that interview with Joanne. Um, So protective factors are really those that act as a buffer uh, against stress and we can draw on them when dealing with stressful situations and we all have stressful situations mm-hmm. um, so they they help us to maintain uh, our mental well-being and they can be internal to ourselves you know our temperament our cognitive abilities uh, they can be external you know what social and environmental and economic supports are there uh, and so they really enable a person to protect their emotional and social well-being and help us cope with everyday life events whether they be positive life events or you know what we'd see as negative life events right so together protective factors and our coping skills can really uh, bolster our resilience so our ability a person's ability to bounce back and overcome adversity. Mm-hmm. So some protective factors for older adults, again, non-exhaustive list here, include things like self-efficacy, you know, the belief that you can succeed in a specific task or situation, having good coping skills and good problem-solving skills, uh, resilience. Again, resilience is reflected in our ability to respond over time as various things change in our lives. Uh, having effective communication and conflict management skills, uh, a feeling of empowerment, you know, the process of becoming stronger, more confident, especially uh, in controlling your own life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Health literacy. So that's our ability to obtain, read, understand healthcare information in order to make appropriate health decisions and follow instructions for treatment. Uh, Proper nutrition, of course. Uh, is a protective factor physical activity we know exercise you know physical activity helps prevent and improve a number of health problems Mm -hmm. things like high blood pressure diabetes arthritis Mm -hmm. but um, research on depression and anxiety for example and exercise uh, shows that psychological and physical benefits of exercise can also improve mood and reduce anxiety awesome so some of those benefits to mental health include, you know, the, the release of those feel-good endorphins, right? When we're mm. exercising or being physically active, can be a way to gain confidence, you know, meeting exercise or physical activity goals or challenges. Even small ones um, can help to boost your self, self-esteem, self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, engaging in physical activity can also provide a way to have some more social interaction, you know, gives you the chance to meet or socialize yeah. with others. You yeah. know, sometimes you're walking along, friendly smile or greeting with somebody, 
in your neighborhood just yeah. can improve your mood. It can. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Uh, so some of the protective family and social factors include things like having adequate social and emotional support from others, good relationships, you know, experiencing a nurturing environment. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, engaging in social activity and interactions, having friendships, uh, living in close proximity to family, friends, or support networks, having a partner or spouse and having a good relationship with that person. And in relation to life events and situations, protective factors could be things like having economic security, enjoying uh, general physical health, having a positive outlook, having a history of positive life experiences, uh, and community and cultural factors are things like having access to community support services, engaging in social and cultural networks within your community, uh, access to appropriate mental health services, opportunities to serve as a volunteer, uh, and meaningful participation and a feeling of belonging. Um, so we know that structural and social factors that reduce adversity and promote a sense of security, things such as safe housing, stable income, uh, are also of great importance. Yeah. And just, just to keep in mind, the relationship between risk and protective factors uh, is complex. Yeah. I'm sort of listing them off here, but it's really... It's really kind of the interaction and accumulation of these factors over time that uh, affects the development of mental health concerns. Okay. So just yeah, just to keep that in mind. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. And I, you know, I really take what you said about the fluctuation, right? Like, I mean, there it's it's almost like protective factors are almost the reverse side of the coin to some risk factors. Like, I heard a lot of commonalities. It's either you know you have this or you don't have this, and. And yeah. even within those, there would be varying levels, yeah. right, for yeah. different people. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm presenting them sort of as a list, and, but there really is a, you know, yeah. they're, they're interconnected, they right? They're, there's they there's an interaction between the right. two over time. Right. Um, that's really important to yeah. remember, too. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Joanne spoke about internal factors. Mm -hmm. And uh, specifically, she mentioned temperament and cognitive abilities, which are, I, I guess, essentially who we are. Right. Yeah. And how you apply them to external factors. And those factors could be social, environmental, economic. Mm -hmm. And that combination of your internal factors and the external ones mm -hmm. and the number of interactions, uh, they will build up your coping skills and your resiliency as you respond over time. And of course, everyone will will do that differently. And it, it made me think that while it's hard to do, we all know that it is important to allow children to have experiences that will allow them to strengthen their resiliency. Mm -hmm. And I remember a number of years ago, a motivational speaker who I really enjoyed, his name is uh, Dick O'Brien. He's from the Niagara area here in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And he said that not allowing children to face the consequences of their behavior is robbing them of their ability to become resilient. And I won't say much more other than uh, because you and I have been in education, we've seen that uh, happen mm -hmm. for sure. Oh, definitely. I mean, unfortunately, we've seen it on both sides, right? We've seen it when 
children haven't been allowed to face the consequences of their behavior. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I will say that I think that in the last, you know, 10 years, at least anyway, there's been a, a nice swing the, the other way in which not only are we expecting students to be responsible for their behavior, but we're actually encouraging them to make mistakes because Mm -hmm. we know that if they don't take risks uh, in their learning and really some risks in life, they don't learn. And really it's about the effort. It's not necessarily about the outcome. Right. And that reminds me of, of self-efficacy, which was something else that Joanne talked about because really resiliency and self-efficacy are closely tied. So self-efficacy is that, you know, when you believe that you can and will succeed and that you will overcome adversity, no matter how stressful a situation is, that's self-efficacy piece. Um, And when you have that, right, when you believe that when you know for certain that you can and will succeed, then of course, that makes sense to me that that is a very powerful protective factor when you realize that you have the power to overcome any experience. Yeah. And I, I would be the first to admit that sometimes my talk in my head can be negative that because mm-hmm. I'm looking for the worst outcome yeah. that can happen in an experience. But um, I hope that I balance that with the number of times that I'm fairly confident a good outcome will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they, my family runs things by me just to see all the ways that it could go wrong and then they can avoid those <laughs> ways, I guess. Yeah. Um, another um, important thing mentioned in that clip was about health literacy. And and I don't know that I would have thought about that as a topic, but it is so true. And I think in spades, we've learned this over the last uh, two or three years. Oh, yeah. That it's very important that you obtain reliable healthcare information Mm -hmm. so that you can understand what you should be doing to better look after yourself. And I think the key thing there is reliable. And if you Mm -hmm. go see your family doctor and you're going with a worry and they'll say, you looked this up on the Internet, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying the internet doesn't have reliable information. You just have to filter and get to what is. Yeah. Um, so becoming your own informed advocate to seek out help and support is important. And that was brought up by Joanne in, in yeah. that clip. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, something else she talked about too was proper nutrition and exercise as protective factors. And I, I loved that because really that's something that we focused on. Uh, in episodes four, five, six, and seven, right? Proper nutrition, we talked with Louise. And then in five, six, and seven, we talked with a variety of people about the importance of uh, movement, right? And so, yeah, it was encouraging to to hear Joanne say that how important those two are as protective factors with for your mental health as well. And the other one, uh, protective social and family factors, uh, mm-hmm. those can be, um, to be honest, probably risk factors as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But most importantly, and more positively, you know, we've talked a lot in both of our seasons of the podcast about the importance of social interaction. Yeah. Uh, Joanne gave examples of protective factors you can access through interactions with your family and in social interactions. Mm -hmm. She stressed the importance of friendships and Mm -hmm. maintaining a good relationship with family and friends, kind of maybe letting a few grudges go and or (laughs) keeping in touch with friends and uh, I know you'll remember, but in episode three this season, Mike spoke uh, mm-hmm. quite passionately about the importance of connection with others and prioritizing those relationships and making that person important that you're mm-hmm. connected with. And the other one, and you can't always control this, but the close proximity to social opportunities can be essential or close proximity to your family. Mm-hmm. It, it is important where possible. And it 
you know, it brings you happiness and can reduce your stress. But again, I'm, I'm not naive to the fact that sometimes that's beyond your control. Yeah. And that ties in with the cultural and economic protective factors that she talked about. It's not always possible for someone to live in a location that has access to services and programs. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and unfortunately, it's also not always possible for someone to have access to proper housing or sufficient income for more than just bare survival. Right. So yeah. I can see where those would be closely connected. So sort of to sum up clip one, we know that there are protective factors and we interact with risks and protective factors help buffer those. Yeah. Um, but as Joanne said as well, recognizing that those two things are always going to be in your life, the accumulation of the interactions, mm-hmm. uh, that can lead to a concern uh, about your mental health. Yeah. Uh, we'll all deal with many risks, varying levels of protective layers to help with them. But it's the level of engagement and the frequency that can determine how those experiences may impact our well-being. So if something isn't good for you, I guess the 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 short answer there would be as best as you can avoid them. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Joanne went on to share with me a whole variety of resources um, that are available to anyone who wants to know more about mental health or anyone who is seeking support for their mental health here in Canada. So let's listen in to what some of those are. I'm going to talk a little bit about what um, kinds of supports might be available for older adults who are experiencing um, challenges or are feeling mentally unwell. Um, And I just want to say to your audience, you know, if you're not feeling yourself and want to talk, please reach out for help. It's okay to ask for help. We all need support. Uh, Social stigma Mm-hmm. can increase mental health issues and yeah. decrease the likelihood of an individual seeking help. Mm-hmm. So as much as my message is, you know, these are the things to, to look for uh, and at risk and protective factors, you know, one of the things that I really want to, I guess, drive home is that, you know, we all need support. We all mm-hmm. uh, need help from time to time. It's okay to ask for help. Yeah. And, and that's sort of, what I want to start with. No, and that's, that's great. I'm glad you're starting there. I think for some people, um, you know, we, we're not going to get into the politics of not having a family doctor, but they're not really sure who to call or where to start. So, right. So what would you suggest? Yeah. So there are a number of supports available Amazing. that might look depending on what the person wants, sure. what they feel are their most immediate needs mm-hmm. that could look like counseling. So sitting face-to-face with a counselor, a spiritual advisor, or someone that's culturally significant to them. Uh, It could be over the telephone, through the internet. Uh, It could look like joining a self-help group or an online program. Um, And then they're really you know, local lifestyle and leisure type programs that are available in most communities. So provincially, and provincially meaning Ontario, 211, is a great resource that I'd like to highlight for your audience. So, and really not just for mental health uh, support, but a variety of community and social services. It's free. You dial 211 or you go to 211ontario.ca. They do have a specific section for older adults, but really you can search anything there. Uh, so if, 
if your audience doesn't remember anything about any of the ones that are going to follow this, 211 will make the connection to any of the ones that I'm going to talk about next. So Amazing. it's it's an easy one to remember. 211 is uh, yeah. is really important. Okay. So if folks do have a family doctor or healthcare provider uh, in primary uh, healthcare, they can reach out to them for information and community resources. That could also be an avenue to seek support. The Canadian Mental Health Association, so CMHA, Mm -hmm. uh, is a great resource. They offer a number of community programs, services. Their website also has an extensive list of available services in specific communities. Um, There are community mental health services available through hospitals and family health teams and specialty clinics. Uh, home and Community Care Ontario. So that website is healthcareathome.ca. Uh, has a range of services for older adults, including both for mental and physical health needs. Sometimes people just want to learn more, right? Yes. Learn, do some learning about mental health. Maybe yes. they're interested in learning more about keeping mentally well, or they have some specific learning needs about depression or other mood disorders, for example. Mm-hmm. So the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH, is sometimes uh, what it's referred to, but that stands for Center for Addi- Addiction and Mental Health, and it's CAMH.ca. Uh, they've got tons of information on their health info tab. The Canadian Mental Health Association, again, is a great place to do some research if you want to just learn more, or the Mental Health Commission of Canada, and that's mentalhealthcommission.ca. They've got lots of information, articles, make the connection to other resources on their website. So those are all really good, reliable uh, sources of information. Amazing. If, we're we're going to make sure we put all those up on our website. Okay, so perfect. Yeah. Perfect. If, if an older person has the economic resources, of course, there are private uh, fee-for-service counseling uh, available in communities. Uh, you can search for those services, you know, of a social worker, psychologist, psychotherapist online. Uh, there are some internet-based services and apps, so virtual counseling, guided therapy, online self-help style programs and groups that can make accessibility easier for some people. Um, Wellness Together Canada is, is one for sure uh, for mental health and substance use support. It's free, it's live counseling, and it's available 24-7. Uh, Bounce Back Ontario, which is a program through the Canadian Mental Health Association, uh, is delivered over the phone with a coach and through online videos. Uh, You get access to tools uh, that's going to support someone uh, on their path to mental wellness. And then mindbeacon.com has access to mental health supports and therapy too. For people who may be experiencing you know, crisis, yeah, uh, you know, or feeling suicidal, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, there are certainly some you know uh, lines uh, available for them to call. There's a Canadian Suicide Prevention Service, um, and I can provide you with that information to post. Okay. Uh, there is 
Connects Ontario, which is mental health, addiction, and problem gambling services, uh, and those are both toll-free numbers as well. And then there's the programs and services really meant to get us moving, right? Keep us, yeah. Keeping us uh, physically active, community arenas, recreation programs, gardens, and green spaces, you know, to be able to enjoy nature. Uh, someone might want to seek out a cooking class, you know, learn about proper nutrition, learning about ways to enhance the quality of our sleep, uh, along with opportunities for physical ac- physical activity, you know, you can really boost your mental health um, at any age uh, for those. Art and culture activities, Mm -hmm. uh, free courses on meditation and mindfulness. Perhaps there's courses for learning a new hobby or interest courses, and those are usually available in most communities. And sometimes, you know, learning something new makes us feel positive. You have a sense of accomplishment, and it could also be the means to socially connect with others, which we know is important. And, and so lastly, volunteering. You know, it's a great way to, can be a great way to meet people, make social connections, and increase a sense of belonging. And we know a sense of belonging is key to mental health and overall well-being. Yeah. And we all understand the real value of a volunteer. Oh my gosh, yes. So <laughs> that could be a win-win for everybody. Uh-huh, it is, yes. Yeah, yeah for sure. So one of the first supports that Joanne mentions uh, is speaking with a counselor or a spiritual advisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they could be obviously the same person or not, but she is just mentioning both. Mm-hmm. Um, she also mentioned this can be in person by phone, uh, online, or group sessions. Mm-hmm. And I think any one of those, there's no right or wrong answer. Whatever works for you, or at least making that uh, that reach out to that is the first step. Mm-hmm. And Mary Ellen, I think you found information about a hotline yeah. that one can access for information too about support. Yeah, so Joanne had mentioned um, 211, and that wasn't uh, that wasn't a website or even really a phone number that I was familiar with, but you can literally on your phone just dial 211 and access so many services, information about so many services, which is amazing to me. And if you check out the website, 211ontario.ca, again, so much information there on a variety of services, including a whole section for older adults with topics within that, like uh, finding a retirement home or other housing for seniors or finding a psychiatrist who specializes in geriatric psychiatry. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they had another section on there for mental health and addictions. And within that, there was uh, a helpline that you could call 24 seven. You could chat online with someone 24 seven, or you could even email someone directly from the 211ontario.ca website. She said, if you remember nothing else Mm -hmm. in terms of supports, that would be the number one, because that is like the umbrella to so many other resources. And that's important. What, Joanne said, and what you're reiterating, and that is when you are overloaded, uh, having something simple to remember is essential. Yeah. And a service like that exists in a couple other uh, countries that we'll talk about later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other support she mentioned, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. It's very well known here in um, in Ontario and throughout mm-hmm. Canada, the CAMH, as it's known. Uh, Canadian Mental Health Association also offers help. Uh, Bounce Back Ontario, Joanne mentioned, and there are many others as well. And we'll make sure we get some of those available uh, on the website too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Joanne mentioned uh, Wellness Together Canada. That's mm -hmm. another 24-7 support. And then there's the Canadian Suicide Prevention Hotline. And then there's connectsontario.ca. So I like I was really surprised and impressed, honestly, with the number of supports that we have available to us. What I'm disappointed about is that I didn't know they existed. Yeah. So I really hope that by sharing these both on our, you know, our social media platforms and our website and on our podcast, I hope that we're providing valuable information for people who like me and maybe like you didn't know that there were all these resources available to us, right? And we just don't know about them. Now, if you're not in a crisis, and I say that that's important because if you are, then you yeah. should be reaching out to one of these services or your family doctor or a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. But if you want to start in finding some help for yourself in a somewhat more, how could I say it? I guess fun isn't maybe the right word, but um, enjoyable way. Mm -hmm. Remember, we talked at length about mm -hmm. community centers. Yeah. And that's a resource that, as we said, may be closer to your home than you think. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about uh, in episode five, the importance of community centers and how they offer social, cultural, physical activities that can engage your mind, body, and soul. And you know what? That just might be the tonic you need. Well, exactly. And I think that, I mean, Joanne provided us with all of these resources because you know, mental health, like so many other things, is a spectrum. And so if you're you know, feeling a little bit down, uh, not necessarily feeling like you're uh, at the opposite end of the spectrum and, um, you know, need immediate support, then yeah, check out your, your local community center, get engaged with other people, boost your protective factors, lots of opportunities and programming out there. And then all the way, like I said, across the spectrum, there's resources available to you, no matter how you're feeling. So you can just sort of dip a toe in, or, you know, if you, if you're in crisis, there's, there's help available. So the bottom line is we all need support. Like that's, that was the bottom line and that is the bottom line and that it's okay to ask for help, right? It's, it's unfortunate that social stigma can decrease the likelihood of people asking for help. I, I'm hopeful that we're moving away from that because that social stigma, when it gets in the way of people asking for help, then it increases mental health issues, right? And there's, there's so many confidential ways to get support in person, uh, online, you can get help individually, you can get it as part of a group like there's, there really are a lot of resources out there, if you know about them. Yeah, um, I think uh, during the last, um, as we keep referring to the, uh, you know, the COVID years, uh, <laughs> we came to appreciate healthcare workers uh, yeah. more than ever. Yeah. And Joanne is one of them. And she speaks very passionately about the role of public health. Yeah. And public health here in Canada and in many other countries plays an important role in promoting mental wellness. Yeah. Uh, Joanne wanted to share with us the purpose of public health and the many supports they offer the population as a whole. And here's what she had to say in our final clip with Joanne. So then I think my last question is around sort of what is the role of public health in promoting mm -hmm. mental wellness right. for everyone, but older adults? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So public health uh, takes an asset-based approach to mental health. And that really means thinking about mental health as an asset. It's valuable. It can be protected, promoted, and strengthened. 
And we also take a population health approach. And population health, as the name suggests, really aims to address the health needs of a whole population. The goal of population health is to achieve the best possible health status for the entire population. And that means looking and acting on a wide range of factors and conditions that have a strong influence on our health. So those factors include, you know, biological, psychological, social, environmental, economic, and political. Okay. So I work in health promotion. And in terms of mental health promotion, the focus really is on, is on improving the social, physical, and economic environments that determine the mental health of populations and individuals. So mental health promotion can sometimes be kind of a tricky concept to understand because many of the programs could be captured under the idea of promoting or influencing mental health. So sometimes our focus can be thought of um, as the causes of the causes, so okay. to speak. Okay. And I'll explain a little bit yeah. more maybe through some examples, sure. of, of, examples what that, are great. of what that is. So essentially the goals of mental health promotion are to increase resilience. We talked about our ability to bounce back and increase the protective factors we talked about earlier to decrease the risk factors and to reduce inequities. So, for example, you know, public education and raising awareness is a key role for public health. So, for example, using our media platforms and in working with community partners, and we work a lot with community partners, uh, we promote healthy eating and highlight the benefits of making healthy food choices. We promote the Canadian 24-hour movement guidelines. So those are a set of recommendations for physical activity sedentary behavior and sleep in a 24-hour cycle and just for older adults there are three core recommendations so move more <laughs> uh, including moderate to vigorous physical activity and the guidelines really call out that light physical activity including standing matter too oh interesting reduce sedentary huh. time so yeah. Okay. when we're sitting and we have little activity and uh, of course to sleep well yeah so we promote those those guidelines and you can certainly find you know specific information uh through a search for the 24-hour movement guidelines cool so one of the other things we do is help to point people in the direction of the services that they ask for right if you're looking for exercise classes or mental health treatment services uh, we can provide you with information about what's available. Uh, we promote social connections, again, recognizing the importance of those connections, um, uh, the importance that those connections have on our mental health. Uh, we support anti-stigma initiatives and campaigns around mental health and mental illness. And we do know that personal narratives, so people telling their own stories, can be a very powerful strategy in those campaigns. Uh, we identify and advocate for policies that promote healthy communities, advocate and promote the benefits of physical activity. And we've talked a little bit about yeah. how we know uh, physical activity is such a benefit to our overall mental wellness. Uh, at the community level, of course, we work on you know, uh, measurement, monitoring, analysis, and interpretation of uh, population health data. 
Uh, we work to strengthen community action and we participate at planning tables and on networks within the communities we serve. And some of our plans this year include, you know, participating as a partner with the Poverty Reju Reduction Strategy, Affordable Housing Committee, Committee, and the Sports and Recreation Councils. Uh, the health unit will be leading the development on a climate change, health, vulnerability, and adoption plan for our region uh, as part of our provincial mandate uh, and linked to our role in emergency management. Uh, and just, just a note that public policies that are not uh, implemented with the explicit intent of addressing mental health, um, but for example, reduce the incident of traumatic events, limit exposure to psychosocial stressors, have impacts on population mental health. Right. Uh, we take a health and all policy approach and look for opportunities to develop public policy that supports whole populations uh, on topics such as food systems, you know, community infrastructure and design, recreation, green space, transportation, accessibility, arts and culture. We've talked a little bit about the benefits, right? Those are protective factors. Right. Uh, we recently held a mental health promotion forum, uh, invited professionals to tell us what they viewed as community priorities. Okay. Uh, and we've got plans to engage uh, with people for whom those services are designed for or used by. And I would say, you know, many of our health unit programs influence mental health, even though, again, the explicit goal of the program may not identify that. For example, in health protection, programs who, you know, aim is to protect health and prevent disease, we know that that influences mental health because we know that having and maintaining good physical health is a protective factor to mental well-being. Right. Um, we also have some plans to uh, create a dedicated portion of our own website specifically about mental health and mental health promotion, and we hope that the community will see that as an additional resource. So that's, that's some of how, the health, how wow. we are working to, yeah. to uh, promote mental health in the community. It's amazing. And that's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is I get to come out and learn more about what's happening in my own community. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I, um, I had the pleasure of uh, talking to two people at the rec center. Oh, nice. And Stephanie and Sherry. Okay. Oh, I know Sherry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I had no idea all of the variety of programs that were available yeah. and I, they helped me with my language. Nice. Right. Yes. So I, you know, had not been using the term older adult. Yes. So I, and I'm a big person when it comes to language, I, I like to be specific and I like to be respectful. Yes. And so, you know, I was really thankful for that. And I, I know before we did the interview, you and I were talking a little bit about the importance of language. And so I'm really pleased that you, for our listeners, helped us with the language around the distinction between mental health yeah. and mental illness. Yeah. And you know what, Mary Ellen, that is, I just think that is so important that you know, and people often um, use terms unintended, unintended that are, you know, um, hurtful, yeah. really stigmatize people who yeah. are struggling, who have a diagnosed mental illness. Yeah. 
um, you know, calling people schizos and all yeah. sorts of things that, and that, that it wouldn't be a well-intended, but do you know what I'm saying? Like an unintentional kind of, you know, oh my God, I feel like this doesn't go right. I'm just going to kill myself. Yeah. It, that's not what you mean. No. And, but there, there are phrases that many of us there are. use. Mm-hmm. Uh, without thinking. Without thinking. And so the language around that, uh, I think, is really, really important. Yeah. And I think generally, you know, people want to do the right thing. People sure. aren't out to hurt anybody. No. Uh, and sometimes it's learning, right? So yes. one of the things that I know that we try to do is share knowledge. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Learn. Learn from each other, yeah. right? Nobody's perfect. Nobody's got it all figured out. Oh, gosh, no. We just you know, want to learn from each other. So, um, I just have like sort of one sort of closing statement. Is that that okay? What else would you like to share with us today, Joanne? (laughs) So I just, I just, again, want to just sort of say, you know, we all have mental health and it fluctuates, it changes. And it's just really important to consider, to remember, to consider the whole person, Mm. uh, and to take into account, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual, religious, cultural, psychological, and social factors that affect our mental health. Uh, There's lots of them. And we are whole people, and we come with different life experiences, Mm -hmm. past uh, experiences, present experiences. And uh, I just say, you know, think about that, realize that, want to be kind to each other and support each other where we can uh, because we all have mental health. We all need support and we all need a little kindness in our lives we all do. the time. We do. <laughs> like it blows me away that there's so many ways that public health works with both community partners and within the health units themselves to look at how uh, programs and, and policies like affordable housing and arts and culture, how those intersect with mental health, right? Mm-hmm. There's a really, she's saying that there's a spot at any discussion table in the community for mental health to be included. Yeah, that's an important link. Yeah. And uh, here in Ontario, where, where we live, Mary yeah. Ellen and I, there are 34 public health units. And across our entire country, uh, there every province or territory has some sort of public health unit that delivers services because you have a, a federal government in, in virtually every country, but yeah. it's not um, feasible or very practical to have them try to um, uh, deliver public health services. You need those uh, to boil it down to units in each, uh, in our case, provinces, and of course, mm-hmm. in the United States, states, et cetera. So one other thing that Joanne mentioned that I, I wanted to highlight is was the importance of language. Um, I, I remember in season two, episode five, the interview that I did with Sherry and Stephanie at the community center. Uh, they really helped me understand the importance of using the language of older adult and recreationists, right? Mm-hmm. So the language around mental health, as Joanne points out, is also important. We we don't set out to offend anyone when we say things. Um, the truth is that we we never really know what someone else is going through with their their health and their well being. So mm-hmm. we need to remember that we all have mental health that fluctuates and changes. And that we're whole people made up of different life experiences, past and present. You know, if we if we just all went about our daily lives interacting with others from a place of kindness and respect, 
that would be supportive of everyone. And I know we find it hard as human beings to suspend judgment, but boy, if we could just, when we get up in the morning and do a little meditation today, I will come from a place of kindness and respect. I just think everybody's day would go much better. Yeah. We have talked extensively in the past two episodes about the um, Canadian and Ontario context for, for mental health and the services provided. And I thought we could take a little turn and talk a little bit about uh, the American context for public mm-hmm. health resources, as well as what's available in uh, in the United Kingdom. Yeah. And let's start with this, Mary Ellen. What did you discover with a little digging? So for the U.S., um, the Federal Department of Health and Human Services oversees 12 operating agencies. And nine of those 12 are, are designated as being part of the public health service. So when you, when you refer to the public health service in the United States, you're really talking about uh, nine of the 12 operating agencies under the umbrella of the Department of Health and Human Services. So of those nine that are part of public health, uh, the two I think people most commonly know would be the Food and Drug Administration or the FDA. Mm-hmm. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC. There's a third one called Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA for short. And their mission is to improve the quality and availability of treatment and rehabilitation services in order to reduce illness, death, disability, and the cost to society resulting from substance abuse and mental illness. So I would encourage any of our uh, American listeners to check out SAMHSA, S-A-M-H-S-A.gov, findtreatment.gov. And on both of those websites, you'll find three hotline phone numbers that you can call. Uh, 988, as opposed to calling 911. 988 is the suicide and crisis hotline. There's a disaster and distress helpline and a national helpline for free treatment referral. All of those run 365 days a year, 24-7. They're always, there's always somebody on those helplines. And you mentioned in your list about the, uh, the CDC and we all learned a little more Hmm. about the role of the CDC. They were quite a leader in our, um, in our fight against uh, COVID and, and handling the pandemic. Um, And they are one of the major operating components, as you mentioned, of the Mm -hmm. Department of Health and Services, but just one. And something I did, well, I knew that they were science-based, data-driven, you know, their role is to protect the public health. I didn't know the CDC has been around for more than 70 years. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's longer than I would have thought. And I'll mention one program they have because it ties in with what you were saying earlier uh, about services for older adults. Uh, they do have a program called the Elder Care Locator. Okay. And it provides information on support services, housing, uh, and transportation. Mm. They also have an online information specialist that you can call or chat with online. And I, when I was reading more, I, I didn't put it in my notes, but, you know, I never forget anything. Mm. Uh, <laughs> except for everything. Um, you also can book an appointment. And for some, that would be important because you can't always get through. Right. Uh, but you can book an appointment as well. And we'll have that link on our website as well. The elder care locator. Yeah. And you may be calling for yourself or, of course, for someone that you are a caregiver for. Right. That's awesome. Um, I also found that there was community mental health centers in, in many states that offer low cost or free mental health care on a sliding scale. 
for those who don't have health insurance with mental health benefits or, or maybe not even any medical insurance at all, right? And community mental health centers have specialized services for older adults, which I thought was, mm-hmm. which I thought was really good. Uh, there's also Mental Health America. Uh, that's a national not-for-profit with over 200 affiliates in most states. And you can find out more about them at mhanational.org. And looking to our friends in the uh, United Kingdom, mm-hmm. and if I was at all good at doing English accents, I would use it as I read these titles because they just sound so British. Right. Um, Public Health England is simply what it was called at one time, the, the umbrella. Right. It was replaced by uh, two branches, the UK Health Security Agency and the Office for Health Improvement and Disparities. Disparities. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so the first one, the UK Health and Security Agency, mm-hmm. is responsible for protecting members of the community from the impact of infectious diseases, chemical, biological, radiological, uh, nuclear incidents, and other health threats. So obviously born out of what we've just come through. Yeah. Realization yeah. that there may be more uh, urgent action uh, due to uh, something that's impacting public health. Uh, the other one, the Office for Health Improvement and Disparities, focuses on improving the nation's health so that everyone can expect to live more of a, a life in good health. And on uh, their other goal is leveling up health disparities mm. to break the link between background and prospects for a healthy life. And mm-hmm. if I could brag for a moment, I think in Canada, with our healthcare system, um, we've not perfectly achieved that. But it certainly is in place that uh, you have access to um, some health care here, uh, regardless of, of what wealth you might be able to bring to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like here in Canada and the U.S., the, uh, in the U.K., they have regional public health units. And that's uh, through this office as well. And they, they support the delivery of regional priorities across the country to try to get to every corner. So uh, something very similar to our our public health is clearly happening in both the U S and the UK. Right. You know, I'm, like I said before, I'm, I'm really encouraged by how many supports are out there that, that I didn't know about. And now that I know about them, I'm I'm really happy that we've got this forum, this, this podcast, right. For sharing links to these supports with others. So listeners, if you found these last couple of episodes helpful, please drop us an email at the retirement years podcast at gmail.com or send us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, or check out our website, www.theretirementyearspodcast.com. And there's an opportunity there to uh, reach out and communicate with us. We do love hearing from listeners. And if you've got ideas for other topics that you would like to hear about, or if some of the topics we've touched on in the last couple of seasons you want us to do a deeper dive into anything, please let us know that as well. We're, we're always open to suggestions. And before I go on with uh, talking a bit about next week's episode, but piggybacking onto what you said, if there's anyone who has anything nice to say about Dave as well, feel free to <laughs> use any of those um, ways to, to say that. He, he, <laughs> yes. could really, he could really use it. Um, <laughs> so next week's episode, um, as we're nearing the end of season two, Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to take uh, continue our look at mental health, but specifically at dementia. Yeah, uh, most people have heard of Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. but that, as we'll find out, is only one of several 
types of dementia that are common among older adults. Yeah. So if you tune in next time, you'll learn more about the potential signs of dementia and where to turn for support if you find yourself in the position of caregiver for someone diagnosed with one or more forms of dementia, or you have concerns about yourself as well. So until next week, I'm Dave. And I'm Mary Ellen. Stay well. You've been listening to the Retirement Years Podcast, social media marketing and management provided by Madison Sloan at MSS Mad Media. Original music by Theodora Draper. Web design by Gavin Hinton.